Welcome to Timothy Eden Memorial Church, a place for life. Connect, participate, celebrate. Would you please join me in a moment of prayer? Let us pray. Loving God, if ever your people needed a word from you, it is now. And so I ask that my words might become your word, that my mortal words become immortal words through the power of your spirit, and that what I speak is the truth that comes from you and your word alone. But give us ears to hear. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You're lazy, screamed Pharaoh at the Israelites who were working as vassals in Egypt. Let go of your sacrifices, he says to them, as he wants to stop them from worshiping God. The bully had spoken. The demagogue had used his ad hominem arguments against these people, the Israelites, who were living in penury in Egypt, subservient vassals, workers. And he looked down upon them, and he was cruel. But Pharaoh was not just Pharaoh then. Pharaoh, in many ways, epitomizes leaders who are capricious, those who change their minds, those who do not care of the consequences of their actions, who feel that they can do anything because they have power. Pharaoh was one such person. He changed the rules on the people of Israel, and he made life hard for them. He was also, though, a leader who showed how easy it is to disrespect God. And his disrespect of God started out by questioning who he is and by saying, I don't know him. And so he sowed the seeds of dissension. He built the foundations of tyranny. He established the flames of disunity. Pharaoh had acted, and he had acted out of passion. You see, the problem with Pharaoh was that he considered money and power to be more important than people or God. Pharaoh was driven by the power to maintain Egypt's control over this growing number of Israelites who were living in his land. And he was frightened that his power base was being eroded by these Israelites. He also wanted to make sure that these Israelites not only could not continue to grow, but were maintained as a subservient group, that they were pushed down, that they were even humiliated. This 
was how strong he was feeling about things. He also wanted money. He wanted them to be more productive, to make more things for him so he and the Egyptians could become wealthier. Power and money, not concern for people and certainly not concern for God. So the people of Israel were terrified and they were confused. They were terrified and they were confused because they wondered even if their God was safe in the midst of all of this. They wondered whether or not, because they were not able to give sacrifices to God, because of all the different things that Pharaoh had put in place, that God would perhaps leave them or God would jettison them into the hands of this tyrannous Pharaoh. It was a tough moment. But so often, and I'm sure this is true for many people, when we feel that uncertainty, when we feel that God perhaps has been pushed to the periphery of life rather than at the center, we have a crisis of faith. And we wonder whether or not, in fact, God is doing what we expect God to do when everything around us is crumbling. I mean, Pharaoh was Pharaoh, but Pharaoh represents in many ways, the different tyrannies in our own lives, the things that cause us to question our God because we're facing a challenge. And many of us right now, many of you, are facing great challenges in your life. And those challenges can make you feel like the Israelites in the presence of a powerful Pharaoh, unable to see God at the center of things, but to think of him more on the periphery. The text that Laurie read for us beautifully today, a long text, but a great text, is one of the classical passages of the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there were two actual sources for our information about this time, sort of like the two Gospels that gave a, a picture of Jesus. Well, there were four, but different pictures of the same event. Well, the different sources also had different views of this event, but they're very, very clear that these come together. It starts really with Moses and Aaron going to Pharaoh, and declaring that he must let the people go and that they must be free to worship their God. And as a result of Moses and Aaron being called by God to go to the Pharaoh, all that transpires afterwards is a result of that. And Pharaoh practices a revenge. Having had the ignominy of having Moses and Aaron say, set my people free so they can worship their God, Pharaoh then decides to oppress the people. He does so by simply dealing with brick making. And bricks were made with straw and mud and dung in biblical times and maybe some clay and then they were dried. But straw was an essential ingredient the Israelites were asked to make bricks, but now they have to go and scythe their own straw. 
But not only that, you also need the firm stubble that is left after the scything has come along. And that's highly labor intensive and very difficult and very slow. And so the Israelites were forced to go and get that stubble as well as the straw to make the bricks, knowing, Pharaoh knowing that they would not be able to do that in a timely manner. He set them up to fail and to take away their time so that they could not go and worship their God. He also beat the foremen who were overseeing them, even some of the Egyptian foremen who were not cooperating properly, and he beat them physically. I mean, this was a bully who was in revenge. And then he questions whether or not the people should be able to have time then to go and make their sacrifices to God. And he requires the bricks to be made at the same speed, even though they have to do all this extra work. They weren't able then to go into the house of the Lord. So the Israelites are upset. But who are they upset with? With Pharaoh? Well, yes but also with Moses and Aaron who'd started all this by saying, let my people go. And they say to, to Moses and Aaron, why are we like a stench, a stink in the nose of Pharaoh? We are like this because you wanted to set us free and you went on God's name to the Pharaoh and this is why we're suffering this terrible misery. So how did Moses respond? The people were questioning God. They were questioning their spiritual leaders, and they were under the thumb of Pharaoh. Well, Moses responded by bringing, in a sense, God back into the center of the discussion again. Now, I feel for Moses. It must have been incredibly difficult to be a leader in a time such as that, a time of uncertainty, a time of tyranny, a time of pain. And there were many stresses on Moses' life. One of the stresses was that he had been called by God. No less than God himself had called him to actually go to the people and to go to Pharaoh and to declare this news that the people should be set free to worship God. And so Moses is going, God, I mean, you called me to do this, and I'm trying to be obedient to you, and it's just not working out. Moses also loved the people. I mean, he, over the period of time in the book of Exodus, he actually calls them some pretty horrendous things. He gets pretty fed up with them at times. Even when he delivers good things, they get mad at him. Even later on, after the exodus, they're not satisfied, but he still loved them. They were his people, and he was called by God to serve them. But the stress of seeing the people that you love hurting is profoundly difficult, isn't it? It's hard to watch the people that you love under such stress and such pain. But he also had to grapple with Pharaoh, who was a polytheist, someone who believed in many gods. He allowed the worship of Herket, Kahom, Isis, 
Osiris, and many other gods who are represented actually in the plague, which is a fascinating thing. But these were different gods. And you know, Pharaoh was sort of hiding behind the worship of many gods by saying, well, I don't know your God. He used his belief in many different gods, not because, let's be honest here, not because Pharaoh worshipped any other god. I mean, Pharaoh was only really into the worship of himself and his own people. But he used this kind of panoply of all these different gods so he didn't have to be obedient to the one god. He believed in a multiplicity of gods as an excuse for not addressing the God of Israel, the one God. And so he dismissed this God, said, I don't know him. So Moses has to come to this person and say, let my people go in order that they may worship their God. And Pharaoh hides behind his polytheism and really his atheism and says, I don't know this God. Oh, how often that happens when people pay lip service to believing or ascribing to a belief in many different gods in order that they don't have to obey and they do not have to follow or do not have to adore the one God. So poor old Moses, the stress that he is under is enormous. But one thing Moses had going for him And the only thing that could save Moses in this situation was his faith in God. John Calvin, in his commentary on this passage, puts it very eloquently and brings it right to our doorstep, to your doorstep. He says this, the same thing often occurs to us, that the doctrine of faith and hope which in peaceful time shines brightly in our hearts and echoes from our tongue, is altogether lost when we come to serious conflict. Wherefore, we ought to devote ourselves with greater goodwill to its study, that even in the most trying circumstances, the recollection of it may be our support." What Calvin is saying is our faith and our hope in God might seem very nice when everything is running along well and smoothly, but when times are tough, even more so, he argues, should we be reminded of our faith and our hope, even more so. Not because times are tough, but because God is sovereign in both good times and in bad. Moses knew that. Moses understood that. But what incredible stress he was under in the midst of it all. And stress is a very difficult thing. It's very hard when all around you, it seems, things are not as they should be. James Merritt, in a lovely book called Still Standing, has a definition of stress. It's just very simple. He said, stress is the gap between ought to do and cannot do. The gap between what we ought to do and what we cannot do. There are many things that we think we ought to do, 
but we cannot do them, and that causes stress. And Lord knows if that's a definition of how people are feeling right now, this is surely the one. We feel that we ought to do a lot of things, and we cannot do them, and that is stressful. And I think particularly of families who right now are dealing with the stress of wanting to care for loved ones, but they cannot do it because of the constraints of COVID. Or I think of those who want to serve their fellow human beings, but they cannot do it. Or those who want to, especially now, gather in the house of the Lord and worship the Lord God Almighty, but they cannot do it. It's a source of stress. And believe you me, as clergy, we know that source of stress in our lives. And so stress is a difficult thing. Recently, I was reading a CAMH report, which here in Ontario is really the great think tank when it comes to matters of mental illness and the problems of mental health. And the statistics are astounding. 24% of people feel mild or moderate anxiety right now. 23% feel loneliness. 21% feel mild or extreme depression. And 33% of people between the ages of 18 and 39, especially women, feel moderate to severe anxiety. I mean, we're under stress. And so we can identify with Moses. We can understand that the oughts are often subjugated by the cannots. And Moses felt that with the power of the people of Israel. And he felt it with the power of Pharaoh. So how did he address it? Well, he addressed it by sharing his concern. And he shared his concern with Aaron. He was fortunate not to be completely on his own on this. I mean, God had a wisdom in bringing Aaron along for the ride because Aaron was the one who was able there to stand with him and to be with him and to give him the guidance that he needed. And I love the relationship between Moses and Aaron. <laughs> I mean, Moses is wondering whether or not at other times, and I mentioned this in the sermon in the fall, whether or not Mo, Aaron would be the better one to lead the people of Israel and to deliver the news because he was more articulate. But Moses at least was able to share it with somebody. And that was like a burden that was lifted. It was like this wonderful release that he could have. But Moses also could share his concerns with God. He was not alone in the situation that he found himself in. And maybe it was tense at times between Moses and God. But nevertheless, God was his sanctuary. Now remember, all of this is occurring before the Ten Commandments and the law were given. This is generations before the building of the great temple in Jerusalem or the great Davidic period. This is centuries before then. 
And so there are no temples, there are no synagogues, there are no places of worship per se. There is just the command to give sacrifices to God, to follow and to believe in God, and to live your life in accordance with that. That's it. But for Moses, that was enough. But he needed something more. He needed to be able to bring his concerns to the feet of God and to do so in a passionate way. In the text right after the one that Laurie read, when we move into chapter 6, I love the account of the back and forwards between Moses and God. Then God said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the people, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. This was God's response to Moses when Moses wondered whether or not things were going as they ought. And the story, as we know, of the Exodus unfolds and God keeps his covenant. But throughout it all, Moses had a hard time. And he had to get through that hard time with faith in order for God to act in God's good time. But had Moses not started the process by going obediently to Pharaoh and saying, let my people go, then in fact, it is quite possible that things would not have unfolded the way that they did. But the people had to suffer first before they could have the final victory and redemption. And a word to Pharaoh Pharaoh, you thought you were clever. You thought that your capricious, selfish, greedy, power-hungry self was sufficient. But Pharaoh, you learned a lesson. And the lesson was, you might not believe in God, but don't mock God, because God is the sovereign Lord. And in that hope, my friends, and in that conviction, you and I will get through this stressful time. And we as a people will get through this stressful time. And the world will get through this stressful time. Because as God said to Moses, you will be my people 
and I am your God. And Moses got it. There's always a safe place for God in our hearts. Amen.